one of the things that allowed you to find this show was it had to either be suggested or somebody's told you about it. We're trying to get to 1000 reviews across all of our audio platforms. However you are listening to this right now, there's somebody else just like you and we want to reach them and we want them to know that, hey, there's a resource here, there's a community. Would you mind leaving us a review? The more reviews that we have, other people just like yourself get a chance to hear and see this show. So if you don't mind, please just drop us a review. It takes literally five, 10 seconds on whatever platform that you're listening to. I'd really appreciate it. Let's get into the episode. I think when I realized the power of real estate, it was actually on a property my parents had bought. Um, I'm trying to think when they bought it. I, I don't even know. I, I must have been in my like teens, maybe even single digits. So it was early teens, single digits. And my parents bought the property like for me as a college fund is what they said. And I didn't really understand what that meant. But basically what they did was instead of doing a 529 or a traditional college savings for my sister and I, they just bought houses that they assumed would appreciate or cash flow and have enough equity in them to one day they could sell them or pull out equity in them to pay for college for my sister and I. And I think that those houses were probably the earliest time that I really understood what they were trying to do with real estate. And I mean, there were many terms that wouldn't click for many years after hearing them for the first time, but my parents never shied away from this conversation. Like money wasn't really a taboo subject in our house. Investing was not a taboo subject. My parents were really good about instilling those money values in us from a very young age. You are now listening to the Grow Your Side Business podcast, where I help ambitious employees develop their side business in a five-day challenge. You can go to growyoursidebusiness.com right now. And while you are here listening to the audio experience, I thank you so much because however you found us, that is awesome. My job as a former corporate employee who's been able to build multiple side businesses and help a lot of other people is to help you do the same. You're in the right place at the right time in your life. Let's listen to today's episode. Side Hustle Secrets is out right now. You can get into that course. You can learn my core for strategy as a corporate professional, learn how to take the stuff that's in your head and literally go have other people pay you for that information. And there's a ton of other things that I walk you through, real life training that you'll absolutely enjoy. You can go take care of that. With that being said, and with that out of the way, I am like super excited about my guest today. For those of you who are watching inside of the Side Business Builders Group, you guys are going to get a kick out of this because you guys get to see this interview before we put this public. But I, I want to give you a little bit of background of the person that I'm about to bring uh, into this interview today, because th this has been one that I, I always I always tell you guys, like there are people that when you meet them or when you see what they do, my first question uh, that I always ask, I'm always asking myself, is that person really that genuine or is this like a thing, right? Like, do they really do that in their business or is it like they're inflating what's really going on? And I'm going to tell you, I only want to interview people who are actually doing the thing that they say. And I just want to give you a little bit of background on who Vina Jetty is. First of all, she's a powerhouse woman when it comes to real estate, real estate investing, in fact. And one of the cool things that she's learned to do, and I'm going to have her give us a little bit of game on how in the world do you actually pull off a real syndication deal? Because she's actually got some dope stuff going on all around the country. First and foremost, her multi-family uh, portfolio of real estate is over $800 million. 
Just put a pin in that right quick. That's one one stat. She's been a, a Forbes co- uh, Council's member. She has her own fund called uh, uh, v- Vivi Funds. Am I saying that right? Um, and one of the cool things is this. This is a woman who is honestly, from everything that I've seen of her, our first conversation, I love the fact that she is standing for women of color and she doesn't see ceilings or barriers or anything like that. What she sees is opportunities to kick another door down. And she's bringing a lot of people with her. I'm done with the introductions because I want to really get into this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, I want y'all to listen to this great conversation that I have with the one and incredible Miss Vina Jetty. Vina, how are you today? And I'm so glad you were here. Yes. No, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. It was quite an intro. <laughs> well, well, listen, I, I've been doing my homework and I've been I've been paying attention. And I, I really um, let me just first off say. I appreciate the way you show up. As a woman of color in the realm that you do, because the truth of the matter is m- from the outside. Right. Let's just be honest. Most marketing most uh, uh, people would have you believe that there's only males at the top of that realm doing big business, right? Like, yeah. or, or, you know, Venus must be working for somebody, right? It can't yeah. be really like her running, right? Like, you know how we do, right? Like we come up with oh, all yeah. of these assumptions. So before we get into where you are today, I want to go back a second. Yeah. Tell me what job you held down before you even thought about real estate before, like before all that, what was Vina doing? I actually was thinking about real estate then too, because I was in corporate real estate. So I worked for a lot of really large companies that had multi-billion dollar portfolios. So I was still thinking about real, I come from a real estate family. Like my parents have instilled a foundation of real estate in us since we were kids. So it's definitely nothing new for me to be involved in real estate. It's just, you know, I had to scale it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. What was your earliest memory of hearing these terms around real estate? Like what was the conversation going on in this household that one day you actually, cause some kids, right. They see what the family business is. And they kind of yeah. run away from it, right? Like there's, I, I uh, you know, I did that first. You did that, okay? <laughs> I did, yeah. You know, I graduated from college. My mom was like, "Come work for the family business," and I was like, "I have an adult with a college degree. No way, I'm doing something like <laughs> totally different and on my own." And then I worked in corporate real estate for a few years, and ultimately paid taxes as a married individual or as a married couple. And I was like, wait a second, why do we just pay all this money in taxes? I call my mom and she's like, well, you need to get full-time real estate status and you need to, you know, leave your W-2 and start investing for yourself. So that's how I started my company is because of the first year I paid taxes as a married person. Hmm. Interesting. So when you think about like, you know, your, when you think about your, your understanding of how it could work for you, what was yep. the earliest 
property. What was the earliest conversation where you were like, wait a second, tell me more about that mom and dad. Like what was that property? What was going on? What got you to go? I'm going to take a hard look at this thing for real. I think when I realized the power of real estate, it was actually on a property my parents had bought. Um, I'm trying to think when they bought it. I, I don't even know. It must've been in my like teens, maybe even single digits. So it was early teens, single digits. And my parents bought the property like for me as a college fund is what they said. And I didn't really understand what that meant. But basically what they did was instead of doing a 529 or a traditional college savings for my sister and I, they just bought houses that they assumed would appreciate or cash flow and have enough equity in them to one day they could sell them or pull out equity in them to pay for college for my sister and I. And I think that those houses were probably the earliest time that I really understood what they were trying to do with real estate. And I mean, there were many terms that wouldn't click for many years after hearing them for the first time, but my parents never shied away from this conversation. Like money wasn't really a taboo subject in our house. Investing was not a taboo subject. My parents were really good about instilling those money values in us from a very young age. Gotcha. So when you said you ran away from the family business. Yeah. Why? What was the what was the thing for you? You know, I was like I was 20 years old when I graduated from college, so I was young already. Um and you know, I had this tenacity to think that I could do everything on my own without needing mommy and daddy to help me. I was very um independent in that way. And so I I did. I did go out into corporate America and I did work for some large real estate finance, you know, a billion dollar asset. I was on the management team before I left corporate America. And so I, I learned a lot of really valuable lessons there that I probably wouldn't have learned having worked for my family and working in the family business. But I, I ran away from working in the family business only to work in someone else's family business ultimately, right? Because it's the same concept, just on a different scale. So talk to me about, you know, um, <clears throat> as you went through that journey yeah, and you realize, well, I'm working over here, but in the same industry, what challenges <laughs> did you find working in corporate real estate as a female that made you kind of go, yeah, something's not, it's not all what it's cracked up to be. What were you, what, what type of challenges were you seeing that just didn't agree yeah. with the way you wanted to work? Um, well, one, I don't know that this is, have, has anything to do with being a woman, but I found out that I was actually not a very good worker bee. I don't like to work for someone else. I don't like to take direction from someone else. I didn't have the freedom to grow the business and the ways that I would want to, it was, you know, and in corporate real estate at this size of deals, it's very, uh, very strict on how they allow you to operate. Um, you know, everything is down to like the nitty gritty detail. And I'm more of like a big picture thinker. And so it just wasn't really a great fit for my personality just in general. I mean, I will happily work a hundred hours a week. I do often, um, but I, 
I'm doing it for myself. So I'm okay with it. And so for me, it just, I don't want to be working for someone else if I can't effectuate change. Um, you know, I realized how important profit sharing was to me because I want to see the fruits of my labor. I don't care about a salary. I don't care about that kind of W-2 income. I care about me having a pay scale that's directly equivalent to how hard I work and how well I perform. Hey, hey, I know you're enjoying this episode, but I wanted to stop you really quickly and just ask you, did you know about the triangle of value that you provide in your corporate job today? Yes, profession, practices, and principles. And all of those your company is leveraging. Why aren't you? I mean, actually building out your own side business. So let me show you what I'm talking about. So I built something called Side Hustle Secrets. The Side Hustle Secrets is your opportunity to be able to take the knowledge that you have in your head right now and actually learn how to build you a profitable side business. There's a ton of value of things that you're gonna be able to get in here, but there's one thing that I wanted to be able to show you because I know that for many of you, you are like me. One day you woke up and realized, you know what, this job ain't enough. In fact, you realize that if something ever happened, I am going to be in trouble. And I learned a little too late. I had to go through two corporate layoffs going from almost $80,000 a year down to $9.13 work in retail because I never got it. Even though I had the title, I thought my job was secure. I never secured my own financial future. So I'm giving you the shot. Grab the link below. Go to growyoursidebusiness.com right now. Jump into the Side Hustle Secrets course. Let me show you how to take what's in your head and go build something with it. Back to the episode. Mm. And so you found that you could have that in real estate. Yeah. Yeah. For, for, for those who are watching right now, let's let's do this. Walk us through an actual deal. In fact, let's oh. let's let's start with a recent one that you, okay. you just did here. Okay. So um for those who are watching, by the time you guys see this, Vina and her team put together a deal in Charlotte, North Carolina. And yes. let's let's talk through this deal. Like, okay. and I don't want to start like at the very beginning, like. How do you search for this kind of stuff? What yeah. does, and like, let's break it down. Like what the heck does, a, what's the difference between syndication deals and just doing like a, you know, an apartment or getting, you know, like how do people level up from a single family rental property that they fix and flip all the way to single? I really want to break it down so people get an understanding so they can understand and see themselves too, that like anybody can do this work. It's just, you got to know yeah. what work to do. Right. So, so yeah. talk to me, let's give everybody like an understanding of like this deal that happened in Charlotte. Where did, mm -hmm. how did you find this piece of property? Yeah. So, um, I can, I can't disclose the specifics of it cause we have an NDA, but I'll say it's a nine figure deal. Right. So let's just use a hundred million dollars as the baseline of what we're talking about. Right. Um, this deal, it came to us through a broker and broker relationships that we have, um, it was on market. Usually the deals of our size in today's market are transacting mostly on market. We're now starting to see a little movement to off market. But as of right now, it's those broker relationships, um, mainly because we need someone who can endorse that, yes, we can close on a $100 million deal or an $80 million deal or whatever that purchase price is. So we found this on market. We underwrote the deal. Um, the deal really made sense. 
at the first pass. And we do many versions of underwriting before we get to closing. So we've underwritten this deal at least 50, 60, 70 times before we're even going out and closing the deal. Uh, but yeah, we found it on market. This deal was an on-market deal. Okay. So it was an on-market deal. You guys find it. Talk to me about like, what do you look for? What's the mm -hmm. signal to your team that goes, this is a good one? What what things attract you guys that make it go, yeah, we need to look more into this? Yeah, we're pretty LP obsessed. So we're always looking at how these deals will execute and operate for our limited partner, right? So we look to what are the LP return metrics? Do they hit the buy box that we know our investors need today, right? So we need a certain amount of cash on cash and we need a certain amount of IRR. And that's going to be different for every investor, right? So my investor database might not be as aggressive as your investor database. If your investor database is willing to accept lower returns, you might be able to pay a little bit more than what I can pay my investors. So knowing and understanding who your investors are, are real, is really important and critical. Yeah. So if someone were to say, hey, you know what, Vina? I've got some extra cash. You know, I have my corporate job. I've yep. never thought about investing in corporate syndications. Tell us what an actual corporate syndication is, how it works, and how yep. could somebody like actually invest their money? Because you said something really interesting. You said, I didn't really want the, the W-2 money or the corporate money. I really wanted yeah. to be paid for what my work and what my worth is. And you wanted to determine that for yourself. Yeah. For the high performing employee who might be watching this and going, I don't ever thought about making that investment because we typically think of, you know, stocks. We think of, you know, even crypto yeah. nowadays. We think of like all these, you know, and maybe some minor fix and flips. How sure. does one get into a syndication deal of the types of things that you do? Yeah. So there's two different ways you can get involved, right? You can either be a passive investor, which is an LP, or you can be an active investor, which is what I do. I'm the general partner, the sponsor on our deals. Um, the, the key is, is if you are a high income earner, right? So let's say you're a physician, about 70% of our investors are physicians. If you're a physician, you earn a great living, and you maybe don't even know that these opportunities exist for you because I didn't know until I started doing this, which is crazy because I was in corporate real estate. I have a family that's in real estate and I still didn't know about this until I stepped into this world. So if you're listening to this, it's your first time. What a syndication essentially is, is it is. I like to tell people, think of it kind of like a Groupon for buying multifamily. So I put together groups of investors who maybe can't afford an $80 million property on their own, but you can afford to have $100,000 into one property and you get fractional ownership into that property. And it's a collective buying. So we pull together investor capital to go and buy an $80 million, $100 million building together. And then we as the active sponsors, our role and responsibility is to operate it from A all the way to Z. So we find the deal, we source it, we underwrite it, we stack the capital, we put together investors, we execute the business plan, we refinance or exit or whatever that is. So we take it all the way from cradle to grave so that you as a passive investor, you don't have to do any of that. All your responsibility is, is you vet me as the sponsor and decide, yes, Fina, I like you, I wanna invest with you. 
Then you vet any project I put in front of you and say, yep, this is the project I want to invest into. And then you will have a set of documents you'll need to sign. You'll send your funds. And then once we close, you'll start receiving your monthly distribution. Some sponsors do quarterly. We do monthly. Um, so just depending on your sponsor, you'll get a regular, hopefully a regular distribution and you'll be able to see some solid returns. It's a great hedge to the stock market. Um, income producing real estate is a phenomenal hedge against inflation. So it's a great time to be investing in real estate. Interesting. So you said it's a great time to be investing yeah. in real estate. But wait, yeah. Nina, did you see the news I recently? I wait, did. Nina, did you what, do you see what they're talking <laughs> about the next 18 months might look at look like? Vina, why that makes in the me world? More excited. That makes me more excited. I feel okay. like everybody focuses on the wrong part of the market cycle. Everyone thinks that, okay, in a bull run, you know, we all made a lot of money. It was great. But the recession and the bear market is where ungodly amounts of money are made. This is mm. where you have centimillionaires and billionaires born. It's not in the bull run. Everybody made money then. Now is when the true investors, like this is not, you know, someone had used the term like real estate tourists during a bull run, all the real estate tourists are there, right? Like everybody's a real estate investor. Everybody knows about real estate. Your Uber driver is going to give you advice on real estate investing, which is awesome. I love real estate as an asset class for everybody. But this market cycle is where we start seeing the real investors who truly understand the fundamentals, being able to deploy capital rapidly into the right places and then wait for the market to come back up. Because one thing we know is that what goes down must come up and what goes up must come down, right? And so real estate is a cyclical market. And it, this time is no different in terms of we know it'll eventually rebound. You just have to be patient. But if you plan for it and you understand how the market works, this is the time where we have the most opportunity ahead of us. Interesting. So, you know, as you talk about that, how then do you change and 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 help and 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 move your message so that people can yeah. understand that this is the right time to invest in order to be able to see in 18 to 24 months like really large returns? What things is, are you all saying to your investors so that they, especially if they're a novice investor, right? If they've never really done this yeah. before. And I'm sure you guys attract all kinds, right? Full-fledged yeah. business owners who've got great businesses, like you said, you know, full-fledged physicians and people who own yeah. small business you know, practices and things of that nature. Yeah. What, what do you help them understand? Are you guys providing like certain communications every quarter to help them understand like how you know, this is still going to outperform what's happening overall. What communications do you provide to people? You know, I have to say content creation is easily one of my biggest weaknesses. I am so bad at putting this information out intentionally. Um, and I'll say I've been blessed to have really smart and sophisticated investors. So they already know and understand that like this is the time to take like we've done really well for our investors over the last several years but this is the time to take advantage of the market uh, we do have a lot of family offices that invest with us a lot of ultra high net worth individuals um, so we've gotten really lucky in that regard and we haven't had to do a whole lot of education but i think that like the doom and gloom that's the stuff that is probably going to affect 
the average American, right? But when we start looking to the highest income earners, yes, we feel inflation also, but we don't feel it at the same rate as the average American earner. And what high income earners generally have an issue of is their high income active earners, right? And so having active income is taxed very differently than having passive income. And I think, you know, one thing my tax strategist and I always say is it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. And having the benefit of real estate in your portfolio, it's a highly tax efficient vehicle. So most of our investors, they don't really care if they're going to get an extra like $500 in their bank account this month. It's, it's a rounding error for them, right? What they care about is the tax efficiency of the investment, how passive the investment is, that their principal doesn't lose money. So they're looking to the market fundamentals. And then, you know, the next thing is, is when, you know, we do hit a home run or we do deliver a solid return. Historically, real estate, specifically multifamily, has the highest sharp ratio of any asset class, meaning it has the highest amount of return for the least amount of relative risk. And investors like that, they know they're going to make a solid amount of money, probably more so than they will in the stock market. It's not as volatile and it is tax efficient. So what more can a high income earner really look for? Hey, are you enjoying this episode of the show? I know you are. That's why you're here. Well, I know also know there's probably like one, two or three other people who are just like you. They're loving conversations about building and growing their side business. They're looking for a community of people and they're also like really serious about what they're doing just like you. Well, they don't know that this exists until you tell them. So here's what I like for you to do. I love for you to share this. I love for you to talk about it. In fact, I love for you to post about it. Won't you also follow me? But more importantly, you know what you could do? Leave us a review. If you leave us a review, guess what happens? Other people will find out about it because it becomes discoverable by other people who are just like you. So if you do those things, it'll cost you nothing, but it'll be grateful. And I promise I will be grateful for every single one that comes through. All right. Other than that, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, I saw a couple of posts and I want to ask about some of your, your captions. Cause I thought they were, they were pretty cool. Uh Oh, Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. But, tell me what I said. What did I say? <laughs> no, they, they were actually pretty good. I, I just I want to get some context. So, um, before we get to those quotes, Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Help our audience understand why is real estate a really good idea to even jump into as a side business? Oh, I mean, it's easily scalable. It's the scalability that I care about more than anything, right? And that's why I like multifamily so much. I can be asleep and I can collect rent from one door or 10 doors or 10,000 doors all at the same time in the same hour. What I can't do is go to work and like if you're a physician, right? I can't see 10,000 patients all in the same hour, right? It's not practical. I can't see them all at the same time. But with real estate, you can scale up very quickly. You're not limited to just what time you have available. Yeah. 
So um, we're going to start with a, the most recent quote. Okay. And then we're going right, to work. I got, I got saw something like about a year and a half ago. And I was like, hmm, let's ask about okay. that. All right. Okay. So I, I love this one. You said, and I quote, I won't take anything under 200 units. Uh, yeah. 200 units. Talk yeah. to me, Vina. What What is going on right now? Like, that's 200 units. Why yes. will you not do anything under 200 units? Uh, because, again, going back to scalability, um, I prefer to be in deals that have larger scale. It's more efficient to operate. There's less risk in them. They're not as volatile. You can share common expenses across 200 doors instead of 20 doors. Um, so I like the 200 plus units. Now, I should have put like a small, tiny asterisk on that, right? Because I will buy something that's like 195 units if it's in a market that we're already invested into or if we really like the deal or... Um, you know, once I had a deal come up, literally the property next door to a deal we already owned and it was smaller than 200 units, but we bought it because now we control the entire North part of an, of a neighbor of like a subdivision or an area. So there was a really good reason for me to buy that. So, but generally I'm, I, and I really should have said, I strongly prefer three to 400 units and up. Wow. But, but so, so you, you said you know, 200 units, you'll, you'll buy something smaller. So you just use the word less risk. Wait a second. Yeah. Hold on. Wait, back know. up. Time out. What do you mean by less risk with more yeah. doors? I, I understand the point of we're all sharing kind of, you know, with all of the people that are renting. But why would you say as the person got to be the leader in taking on this and, and and making sure that it's a good deal for your investors, your LPs. Talk to me about why is that a less risky opportunity? Right. Well, if you think about it, there's more stability in a 200 unit asset than there is in, let's call it a 10 unit, a 10, 10 flex, right? So there's more stability. If you look at vacancy, right? If you have 10 units and one person moves out, you now have a 90% occupancy. That means that nine of your units are taking on the stress of maintaining the parking lot, landscaping, pool, trash removal. Everything is falling to just 90% of your units. If I have 200 units and 10 people move out, I'm still at a 95% occupancy. And we don't actually want to be 100% occupied in 200 units. We want to hover in that probably low 90s to mid 90s range. So I have the ability to manage it a little bit more effectively and a, more, a little more efficiently. And vacancy is not a huge concern for me because one tenant moves out on 200 units, fine, we'll replace a tenant and we can, you know, see where the market can tolerate and we can charge more or less rent accordingly to get our occupancy back up. But we don't destabilize by having one tenant move out. Um, the other thing is, is contract services. I have a much different negotiating power when I'm negotiating for 200 units to get painted versus 10 units to get painted. So I get a little bit cheaper labor and material costs on any renovations I do, any contract services I have. Um, for example, our landscaping is a very different negotiation at 200 units versus 10 units. So there's just less risk inherently from any single unit or something happening in any one unit. 
Okay, so we're using this word risk, and Vina, you strike me as the person who has like an ironclad stomach for risk. Like you seem like you like the bigger the opportunity, you're like, sign me up, I'm all in. How did mm-hmm. help our audience understand how do you develop that? Like what how you know, do you actually get into I that? I actually don't have an appetite for risk. Um I actually have probably the least amount of appetite for risk amongst my colleagues in what we do because I invest pretty significantly alongside my investors. So my JV partner, Ellie Perlman and I, we are both the largest investor into our deals. Like our families combined are the largest investors into our deals. So we actually don't have an appetite for risk. Um, This is... Like I said, it has the highest sharp ratio. It's the least amount of relative risk to the highest amount of relative return historically in this asset class. So I I always tell investors, when you think about our deals, like if you think about paint drying, that should be probably more exciting than what we do in the multifamily <laughs> space. Um, we're pretty boring and vanilla. So I don't have a very very ironclad risk tolerance. I actually have a very low risk tolerance. If I had a higher risk tolerance, I would be going into like new dev. I would be going into units that were like completely offline for some reason or destabilized. We just go for like that very boring, stabilized, class B value add asset, no hair on the deal, very clean deal, lower returns than if I went into new dev, but the appropriate amount of risk for my appetite. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. So tell me this, you've been, you've been successful. How long you've been doing this? How many years? Well, I graduated from college in 2007. So 15 years I've been either in corporate or in my own company. I left corporate in 2012. So 10 years ago. Okay. So you've been doing this side of it for 10 years straight. Mm -hmm. Is there some big goal that you have that you're like, I, I want this thing and this will make me like I'm this is what I'm really reaching for while I'm making uh, this happen. What is that? Yeah, I, I mean, I always have goals. Right. And then once you hit them, you recalibrate and you make the new goal and the next goal. Right. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing that since I started right now. My biggest goal and the biggest thing that I have my sight set on is actually not even monetarily related anymore. I have young daughters and I want them to be able to see that someone that looks like them is in this space and that they can do this too if they want to. And so for me, it's more about the systemic change that comes from being a very, very small minority in a very white male dominated industry. 100%. I like that. Um, so, you know, you if you look at the, to your point, if you look at the landscape of kind of who's doing things in, in your asset class, you travel mm-hmm. a lot, you get a chance to see uh, your peers, you get a chance to see the conversations, you know, the rooms that you, you either sit through, I always say, yeah. some rooms we just sit through and some of them we actually sit in, right? <laughs> That's very true. That is very, wow. I, that's like a life-changing statement right there. It's just true. Some of them we sit through. Yeah, many how of them. Many of them I sit keep, through. Yeah. How have you been able to keep your eye on 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 your on your goals 
when you know sometimes you're walking in certain rooms that it's not that there's no respect there, but you know, you unfortunately, sometimes you've had to do a little extra to be able to get the the level of respect that, you know, sometimes your white male counterparts get. How how do you keep yourself focused when you know that sometimes you got to sit through a lot of these rooms? Yeah, no, it's that's actually an interesting question because I didn't, I used to always kind of fall in line before, you know, I didn't want to like ruffle feathers and, you know, then there came a point where I'd accomplished some amount and I was like, okay, now I have to like say who I am so I can prove and like tell you about all the great things I did. Now I'm at a point where I'm like, all right, if you are not going to take an opportunity to hear what I have to say, then that's your loss and that's totally fine. Uh, But what I do now, which I'm pretty vocal about is whenever I see any like of my, my good friends, right. Sometimes they'll speak on these at these events or on these panels where it's like just no diversity represented. And, you know, so I'll ask them, I'll be like, Hey, um, you know, I love you, bro, but do you only speak at events where like women aren't invited or minorities aren't invited? And, you know, usually they're good people. I know them. So they're always like, oh my gosh, I feel like a total ass. I can't believe that I didn't even recognize that. And that's actually, their voices are so strong in creating that change Mm -hmm. and changing the narrative. And I'm so grateful to every single friend of mine that has received that feedback and actually been actionable and intentionable with it. And even now, if I see something on social media where they have like a lineup of 25 men or 25 non-minorities, I always ask, I say like, hey, I'm sure you guys are still working out the details, but are there going to be women and minorities represented in Mm. these dialogues? And I don't say it in a mean way. I don't say it in a threatening way because the reality is, is if it's not your truth and it's not something you've lived, it just is a blind spot. You just don't know. And sometimes it just takes someone asking about it for you to open it up and reconsider it. And we want to make change. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I like that. So, um, there was a post you did uh, back in June. Okay. And I, I really, I, I want to get your understanding of this. So you were talking about how you got your work ethic, and you talked mm-hmm. about what you saw from your mother. And because this is a, this is a family part of the business, right? What what is it about your mother that that you saw that said, you know, I, I don't have to accept whatever this social norm is. I can actually mm-hmm. like, I can win on my own work and my style and the way I like to do things. What was it that she was displaying in front of you that just made you realize, no, I can, I can do this and still be my authentic self. Yeah, I think part of it, I was like born with this nature and my mom just nurtured it in me. And, you know, I am my mother's daughter. We're very much alike. Uh, (laughs) She's always been somebody that felt that there is, there's the world is big and there are opportunities out there that you would can't even dream of. Like if I was talking to Vina even five years ago or 10 years ago, I would never dream that I would be where I am right in this moment. It's just, it's crazy to me. 
And so now I can only think about like, what will Vina in 10 years be saying that I just don't even know exists now. And so my, for my mom, it was always being able to work hard. Um, she never stopped learning and she's just tenacious, you know, that she never takes no for an answer. And, you know, she's always moved forward with that kind of grit and determination that she's really honed in my sister and I am. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the um, events that I saw you did a while back, it was you, uh, Maxwell, who's also here in the North Carolina area. Um, you know, you were on that panel and I noticed that you you light up at certain topics, certain things yeah. that if somebody says that it, it's like it strikes a chord with you. Right. Tell me, give me one of those things that you're you really want um people of color to understand about real mm-hmm. estate and why now? Uh-huh. Gosh, there's so many because I'm like a numbers nerd. So I kind of light up when we talk like numbers. Uh, my favorite part of the business that we touch are is investor relations. I love talking to our investors. That's like easily the biggest win for me. Um, and then also like tax and legal, like legal strategy. My attorney hates that I love this because I'll like geek out and I'll be like, oh, but what if we do this one thing and this one thing? And he's like, stop, you know, just stop. You're not a lawyer. Just stop. Um but I do enjoy discussing like structure and how to make things work that maybe wouldn't have worked in a traditional fashion, but how can we structure a deal so that the seller and the buyer both win um, so that investors are insulated. So there, there's a lot of different ways to do it and that I really love. So it's like more out of the box thinking. Hey, you're enjoying this episode, right? Well, there's something I wanted to share with you. Have you ever heard of the triangle of value? Well, it's something that I actually teach in my Side Hustle Secrets course. See, you actually have a profession, you have practices, and you live by a set of principles. That is your triangle of value. Well, within that triangle of value, you are so valuable in the marketplace that what you know in your head, somebody else is willing to pay you in order to be able to get that information so that they can do the same thing that you're doing. But you didn't know that until now. Well, I've created something just for you. I got a course called the Side Hustle Secrets course. If you go to thesidehustlesecrets.com, you can go ahead and get into my course. I teach you how to use that triangle of value and actually be able to create you a great online profitable business. But here's the cool part. Along with that, I show you my core four strategies and how to be able to take that triangle of value and turn it into four different streams that you can be able to leverage to be able to build you a great side business and reduce the financial stress. Because listen, I know you're enjoying your job. I know you've done all the work that you needed to, to get where you are today. But I also know this between layoffs, firings, and downsizings, it's bound to happen. It happened to me twice. I don't want it to happen to you. Or at least if it does, you have something to fall back on and you don't have to hurt you and your family. I know you got a lot of information in your head and I know you could scale it. And I know there's somebody else out there who is happy willing to pay you to get that information. Well, let me show you how to do it. Go to thesidehustlesecrets.com, get the course, and let's work together to build out and build you what you need for you to have a great side business. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, you know, um, one I was telling my wife this not too long ago. Um, one of the things that I noticed is a common thread between uh, a lot of high achievers and a lot of entrepreneurs that I talk to is there's this 
level of creativity mm-hmm. that is just like, it's amazing. And I think, you know, sometimes you hear like these really cool stories. I'm sure you have a ton of them. I'm sure we could spend an hour <laughs> and I could talk to many. you about a deal and how many ways you had to get creative and how many times you had to get creative to get that deal all the way to the finish line, right? Oh, yeah. Talk to me about that level of creativity that you have to use and how is that serving you to be able to continue to know like that, you know, yeah, we're going out here and we're, 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 we're looking at new stuff, but I'm not afraid because I, I trust my gut and I trust this, this, this formless, uh, strong current of creativity. How are you leveraging that uh, in your day to day? Yeah, you know, it it lets us win deals that we wouldn't otherwise be able to win without adding extra risk to the project, which, you know, like I said, I'm not actually very risk tolerant. So for me, it's really important that we mitigate risk out of the gate. So a great example, right, is during COVID, we were trying to buy an asset in Marietta, Georgia. It's an Atlanta suburb. And we were in the middle of 2020. And how do we do due diligence on almost 500 units? How do we walk 500 units? There was no vaccine at the time. We weren't really sure what the implications of COVID were. People were still dying. Long COVID was still a thing. How do we do due diligence? And so you know, we started getting the creative juices flowing. We had thought about, okay, do we, at one point we were like, maybe we send a drone into each unit to video everything and then we can do due diligence that way, but that's very, you know, expensive and time consuming and it's tough to do. And I don't know about you, but you know, whenever I tried to fly a drone, I'm like crashing into everything around it. So it's just like not practical. Um, but so what we ultimately ended up doing is we ended up structuring so that we could walk as many units as possible. However, any units that said they were positive for COVID, you know, with OSHA and everything we, I mean, and just from a moral standpoint, we couldn't send anybody in to inspect those because we couldn't risk someone, you know, putting their health uh, at risk for an acquisition. It just wasn't worth it for us. So what we did instead was we said any units we can't complete due diligence on before closing, we'll put into escrow um, X amount of dollars per unit. And then within 60 days post-close, we'll conduct the due diligence and then we'll true up after we close. And it ended up being like, I think it was then about like 40 units or something for maybe 20, 40, something like that, that we couldn't walk. And we put aside a certain amount of dollars and then post-close, we were able to walk those because we couldn't get over the risk factor of, we don't know what's behind the door. What happens if we walk into one of these units that was like a COVID unit and it's really like, there's nothing else except for studs in there. You know, it's a very expensive cost that we wouldn't have planned for. So that was how we were able to mitigate risk. But being able to think creatively like that and having experience from other creative solution allowed us to build and to be able to go in and close that deal. And we ended up making like a massive return for investors. Um, You know, they ended up almost doubling their money in 18 months. So it was a win-win for everybody. That is awesome. That is awesome. Last couple of questions here before we wrap. Um, You know, you mentioned your daughters. Yes. And... Obviously, they are they are they are your two heartbeats walking on two feet. Right? Oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Let's go ten years from now. Ten yeah. years from now, they'll okay. come back and watch this interview. 
They'll see their money. Yeah, okay, maybe. Yeah, they might. I didn't really think about that. (laughs) They'll, They'll see this interview. What is it that you want them to know about why you make the sacrifices today, 10 years earlier before they see this interview? What do you want them to understand? Because they're going to be living a life 10 years from now that was built today. Yeah. So what do you um, want them to understand I, about what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, so one, girls, you don't have any money. You are poor. And so you have to work hard if you want to live the life that mommy and daddy have provided for you. That's the first thing I want them to know. Um, The second thing I want them to know, though, is that they can do anything. And, you know, your gender, your race, your religion, whatever, is not a reason for them to be held back from doing what they want to do and what they can do. And that regardless of what they choose to do they should move forward and have an eye of being the best at it, whatever it is, right? Like if you want to be a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, it doesn't matter. Just have the aim of being the best at whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. You have to be kind. You have to treat other people the way you want to be treated. Nobody ever made a dollar by themselves. It always takes the help of other people. And you know, we, we have a lot of privileges and it's their responsibility what they do with it after it's been given to them. Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, as I, I've followed you a little bit uh, over the last several months on, on social media and um, I know you said you're not good with content, but clearly you have a, an opinion and you, you don't mind <laughs> sharing that, which is a good thing. I think it's great. I think it's actually <laughs> awesome. Um you know, there's a lot of um, high-performing corporate uh, ladies out here who are in yeah. a corporate job. Yeah. And they look at Vina and go, man, that would be awesome to be able to, 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 to be able to make those types of investments and take a risk on yourself. One of the things I talk about a lot is people don't bet on themselves enough, right? Yeah. You bet on yourself. And 10 years later, here you are. It it was a good bet, right? Yeah. Talk to the lady who's working at VP job, who's working and leading her organization, who's responsible for whatever the number is, whatever the responsibility is in this time. What is it that she needs to understand about why she should bet on herself with something and not just give all of her identity over to the the title or the you know umbrella brand of the company that she's working for well it's you know like that saying goes you know either you work on your own dreams or someone like me is going to hire you to work on mine and it's really important especially as women that we recognize what we are capable of and we are diligent of and that we help each other to get to a point of financial independence and financial security. Um, I, you know, I, I keep quoting this stat recently in the speeches I'm giving, but only 31% of investors are women. So we've come a long way. There's a much further way to continue going. And, you know, the, the time to have planted a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. And so 
you, it can be overwhelming. It can be scary. It can be daunting. That is completely normal. Settle into that feeling, but use that to empower you to make future decisions for yourself that will not just create financial security for you, but creates generational wealth. And you can't save your, you can't save your way to wealth in this country, not in today's day and time. But what you can do is you can invest your way to wealth. 100%. Well, listen, um, Vina, it is a pleasure. I know your life and time are busy. So I want to say thank you for listening uh, uh, and, and stopping by the Grow Your Side Business podcast. Lastly, I, I will say this, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you any parting words for, for those who are listening, but feel free to tell everybody, like, where can they find you out in these social media yeah. streets? And, and um, you, you know, um, any, any last words you'd like to leave uh, with our audience? Yeah, I think it's really easy to get into analysis paralysis and kind of get deer in the headlights, but don't let that stop you from keeping on moving forward. You know, Rome was not built in a day. My company wasn't either, uh, but you you can do this and you have a responsibility to yourself and to the people that depend on you to be financially savvy and to learn and understand what options are out there. Um, as far as if you want to find me, I'm basically on all social media as Vina Jetty, V-E-E-N-A-J-E-T-T-I. And I just started a free Facebook group, which is a bunch of active investors or people wanting to be active. So not so much passive, but active investors. Um, I do things like challenges and I give out like the tools. Um, it's called Mastering Multifamily with Vina Jetty. Everybody's welcome there. It's a community really for us to learn and grow together and to get your questions answered and just understand what's happening. So you're welcome to join there. Um, but yeah, you can reach me on any social media platform. Awesome. Well, listen, Vina, thank you so much for your time. And and let me say also, thank you for your contribution to this world. Um, thank there aren't you. enough books that can be written about these stories that start one place and we won't be around to see the full impact because it'll be generations from now. But thankfully yeah. you started, right? Yes. And, and that, that should be commended uh, because your daughters and everybody else will pick it up and continue to move on and, and, and build it better. I so hope thank you so. for your time. We appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Absolutely. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.